One day, maybe years from now, you're going to tell a story about this season in life. Maybe you'll tell a story you're proud of. Maybe you won't. Because sometimes you have to keep going when you'd rather give up. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2 says, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Art thou he that should come? you got to love that. Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What went you out to see in the wilderness? A reed shaken in the wind? Well, what went you out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out to see? A prophet? Yea, I say to you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, withstanding that he is the least in the kingdom of withstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Than greater than he. John the Baptist, in this moment in his story, it was a very bad chapter. John had stood on some mountaintops of ministry and life. John actually got to baptize Jesus Christ with his own hands. Could you imagine that? What it would have been like to be in the crowd, much less be the one baptizing baptizing the Son of God. What an amazing thing. I mean, John was kind of weird. He ate bugs and he, you know, wore random animal skins. But we still love John. John was this voice in the wilderness of boldness I mean, he was somebody when the religion, like the religious culture of the day was silent. John was this fiery voice of trust and faith and boldness. John was a, uh, a get-to kind of person, not a have-to kind of person. You know the difference? Some people are have-to kind of per- people. I have to go to church. I have to do this. John was a, I get to do this. Man, I'm going to go all in for God. Whenever the line was, whenever people were making decisions, John was the first in line. He said, like, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to do everything that God called me to do. Even if people don't understand me, I'm going to keep trusting God. Even whenever it gets difficult, I'm going to keep trusting God. This was John. John was bad to the bone. But what I love about the Bible is that God does not just show the highlights of its heroes. God doesn't just show them at their miracle moments He also shows them in the valley. He also shows them at great times of questions, of doubts, of fears. And you know, it gives me a little bit of faith (laughs) that God can use me too. Because I don't know about you, but it's amazing how fast I can go from faith to doubt. It's amazing how fast I can go from joy to despair. It's the gap is not that big 
between all of us. And I find it comforting, even the great people of faith like John dealt with the same thing. John the Baptist, that wasn't his denominational affiliation. That's who he was. He was a baptizer. And this point in his story, he's in prison. And I'm sure he never thought he'd signed up for that part of the story. I'm sure whenever the crowds were coming, he was baptizing Jesus, everything's going. I'm sure he was like on top of the world. Man, I love this ministry thing. I love this thing God's called me to do. I get to eat bucks, and it's cool. And that's all right, because I'm doing what God called me to do. But then in the prison cell, things begin to change for John. And I just want to encourage someone that's here tonight that you feel like you're kind of in a prison of sorts. Not too long ago, you were on the mountain. Now you're kind of in the valley. I want you to know that God sometimes takes us through the valley. That it's part of the journey many times, this, this prison cell of sorts. And what happens with John is so interesting to me because uh, John, um, John in the prison begins to ask some questions. John takes it, tells his disciples, he said, hey guys, go talk to Jesus and ask him one question. Say, are you he that should come or should we look for somebody else? In other words, John said, did I miss it? Like, am I the right person? Like, like, did I miss this whole journey thing with God? Have you ever been there before? I, miss, I bet John wanted to be somebody else, somebody that wasn't in prison. He wanted to have somebody else's calling, someone else's ministry. We all have seasons where we'd like to be somewhere else, but someone else doing something else. I, I, I heard this not too long ago. I, I clipped it out. It said, in my next life, I'd like to come back as a bear. Not theologically correct, by the way. He says, when you're a bear, you get to hibernate. You do nothing but sleep for six months. I could deal with that. Before you hibernate, you're supposed to eat yourself stupid. I could deal with that too. If you're a mama bear, you birth your children when they are the size of walnuts while you're sleeping and wake up to partially grown, cute, cuddly cubs. I could definitely deal with that. If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat away anyone who bothers your cubs. If your cubs get out of line, you swat them too. I could deal with that. If you're a bear, your mate expects you to wake up to expects to wake up next to you growling if you're a bear. <laughs> your husband, if you're a mama bear, expects that you'll have hairy legs and excess body fat. The writer said, I could deal with that. I want to be a bear. <laughs> I bet John was like, I would want to be anything except for what I am right now. And he goes to Jesus and says, are you really the one who's the Messiah or should we look for another? Can you imagine the distance that he's traveled mentally between the one who baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit descend as a dove and heard the voice of God speak, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And now he's saying, or is this even real? Was that dove a figment of my imagination? Did I really hear the voice of God? And he's in this prison cell place, and he says, Jesus, are you real? And his disciples actually go to Jesus. He's teaching a group of people, and, and a knock comes at the door. Jesus stopped. Can I help you? 
this group of men, John's disciples, come up and say, well, John, you remember John, your cousin, the one in prison, wears real weird clothes, has a strange diet of bugs. You remember John? Yes, I remember John, Jesus would say. Well, John wanted us to ask you a question, Jesus. Okay, what's the question? He said, are you really the one that was to come? Or did John get it wrong? Should he look for another? Jesus gives him the most curious answer. Jesus says, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Last time I checked, that was not an answer to his question. He didn't say, hey, are you the one who's healing the blind? Are you the one who's, who's helping the people that are deaf? Are you the one that's preaching to the poor? He didn't ask that question. He said, are you he that should come or shall we look for another? And Jesus immediately goes to all the miracles that he's done, which were truly a sign of the Messiah. But the problem was this. John wasn't really asking about that. John was really asking, what about me? John was really asking, like, why am I in prison? Because I thought doing the right thing, I thought this story was like up and to the right. I thought it was like a story of just glory to glory to glory. I didn't know that there was a prison that was associated with my role in this story, Jesus. I thought I was the forerunner, you know. I thought I was the guy out in front making it all happen. John didn't realize that he was a forerunner in life, but he was also a forerunner in death. He didn't understand the true nature of, of what all was happening, just like I don't understand the true nature of everything that happens in my life and my relationship with God either, and neither do any of us. We all have questions along the way. And the thing that's so interesting to me, what happens next in the story, after Jesus kind of gives this non-answer to John, which I'm sure John wasn't like, oh, I've been waiting for that. The poor have the gospel preached to them, and the deaf, they're healed. Oh, that is such a wonderful thing. I'm ready to go. No, I'm sure John was upset because he said in verse 7, he says, As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John. And here's the thing that's interesting about this passage to me is essentially Jesus didn't tell the rest of this passage until John's disciples were gone. It's as if John and his disciples, they get this answer the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the poor have the gospel preached unto them, and blessed is he who's not offended in me. And that's all the answer. They're like, is that it? He's like, yeah, that's it. And they walk out of the door. The door clicks behind their heels, and Jesus says to the crowd, let me tell you about John. Wow. Jesus is about to give us an insight that John will never have on this side of eternity in his story. You see, we as readers, just like whenever I was reading my novel over the past few weeks, I get the privilege of seeing it from a different perspective. Because I'm seeing it from the author's perspective. I'm not necessarily in the middle of the story like John is. But John in the middle of the story, the question is, what is he thinking? You know, John is in prison. He doesn't get this full answer. And then God begins to talk about him. And I like to say this, that Jesus talked behind John's back. You know, I don't like people that talk behind my back. I don't know about you. Have I ever had somebody talk behind your back? Come on. Nobody? Oh, that's awesome. Nobody's ever had anybody talk behind their back. Yeah. I don't like people talking behind my back. Man, it doesn't feel good, does it? Someone said, well, I heard this. Where did you hear that from? Well, where did they, they said that. 
behind my back. You know, when people talk behind your back, it's usually because they're cowards. Or some people, some, some people talk behind your back because they don't know how to show love. You know, neither one of those were Jesus' issue because Jesus is not a coward. And Jesus surely has no problem showing love. But Jesus had a purpose in talking behind John's back. He wanted to say some things to John, say some things about John to this crowd of people that John's ears would never hear because I believe part of it is a picture of our lives because there are seasons of our story where God seems silent. And and it's like we're in prison like John and we're like, tell me, Jesus, am I right? Am I doing the right thing? Is this actually going to work out? Is this whole calling thing going to work? Is this thing actually real? And we hear silence. But I want to, if I could, give you an author's point of view of your story just for a moment and let you see what's happening behind your back, what God is saying to you whenever you can't hear his voice. Because even when you can't hear his voice, he can hear your voice. Even even whenever you can't... You can't see where he's going. He still knows where you're going. You understand that? But there are seasons along the way where we don't understand what he's doing. We don't hear his voice. And maybe you're in one of those seasons right now. And I dedicate this message to you today because God wants, is saying something behind your back that I want to give an insight to you. I believe one of the reasons he did this is because he did not want John's faith to be in John's own ministry. There are seasons where we walk the road seemingly alone so that we will never take faith in our own mind, in our own ability and who we are. But we will in turn trust that God is the one where our faith lies. So even when we don't understand what to do, he's still in control. Even when we don't know what step to take, like he still knows what to do. And it's amazing what Jesus was doing in this story. So I want to break this down and tell you three things that Jesus was saying to John. And in turn, I believe he's saying about you and me today as well. Here's the first thing that Jesus was saying behind John's back. is simply this. That you are doing better than you think you are. You are doing better than you think you are. Uh, in verse 10, he says this. For this is he of whom it is written, listen, behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. So John doesn't hear this. I'm sure John would have loved to hear this. John, you're the man. You're the messenger. Look at what you've done. Because of what you've done, look, it's prepared the way so that the blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, the poor can have the gospel preached to them. Like, John, you're doing better than you think you are. Because undoubtedly in prison, he felt like he was a failure, right? In prison, he felt like nothing was working. He felt like God wasn't on the throne. So much so that he even had to ask the question, are you even real, Jesus? Is this even the real thing? Because that's what happens when we get in the prison. But I want to encourage someone here on this first Wednesday and simply tell you this, you're doing better than you think you're doing. See, the devil wants to come in and he wants to just constantly grind on all the things that you're not and all the things that you haven't done and all the failures that you're still making and all the inconsistencies in your journey. And I believe if we could hear what God is saying behind our backs, he would say, you're doing better than you think you are. You just keep on trusting. Your ministry, your life, what you're doing matters more than what you even realize. You're doing better than you think you are. Like, like, like the face of God toward you and me 
is not a frown. If I could ask you this, what do you think God's expression is toward your life? Like if you could see the face of God, what would it have on it? What would be on the face of God? Is it a scowl? Can't believe you. Need to do better. Is it a frown? Because of mistakes that you've made? Because of how far you haven't come? Or opportunities you've missed out on over the years? Or, 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 or. I want to introduce to you a God that smiles. I want to introduce to you a God that takes pride in every step of your journey. See, as a dad, it's amazing. I get to see the progress. Or, or my sons get frustrated at their progress. And just sometimes they're trying to do something they can't do. They're just, ah, and they just throw it, you know. <laughs> and I think, Lord, if that's not a picture of me, I don't know what. I haven't grown. I haven't learned that much over these last few years. Because, man, I, I too can get frustrated along the journey. And, and, and me... From a different perspective, I see their struggle and I see it as a year ago, they couldn't even do that enough to struggle with it. A year ago, they didn't even know that that was part of the process, but now they've understood it. They don't have the strength yet to crack it yet, but they know, they know how to make it happen. And, and, and I see it as progress and all they see it as frustration. And I want to tell you that when God looks at your life, he sees the progress you're making. I just really felt tonight I was supposed to encourage somebody. That, that, that you're not who you are going to be, but by God's grace, you're not who you used to be either. You're, you're not who you used to be. The, 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 think about all the journey and where you've come. Some of you, a year ago, you never would have thought of being here on the first Wednesday. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, oh, you should, you're not making any progress. You're making progress. You're moving forward. Keep trusting God along the way. God loves you and cares about you. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8 says, Whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. He's smiling. He loves you. He's thankful about your journey along the way. Galatians 6, 9, I put this in your notes. This is a life verse. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good. John, don't be weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Keep your attitude in the silent seasons. Every day keep growing. Even whenever you don't have the motivation to grow, just don't wait for the motivation, just do it. Just do it. I love what John Maxwell says. He says, motivation is, motivation is so limited. He said, don't wait for the motivation, just do it and the motivation will sneak up on you. You just do it. Just keep on growing. Keep on becoming what God's called you to become. Keep on serving. I, I just want to say, I, I am so amazed whenever I see what God's doing in, in this church. And some people in this room specifically. Whenever I see you serving. Whenever I see you stepping out of your comfort zone. This is a whole new adventure and journey for you. Man, I, I'll be... So, there's so many times I lay my head down on my pillow at night and I, I feel like I can begin to understand what Paul was writing so, in so many of the epistles. He just, so many times he'd say this like in Philippians, I thank God every time I think about you. That's how I feel. That's how I feel because I know every, those of you that, that, that are faithful and that love God and that are here on a Wednesday night, Think, man, I thank God every time I think about you, that not just when you're motivated you come, not just when you're motivated, you, but keep on doing what God's called you to do. Keep on growing. 
Keep on serving. Keep on doing what God's called you to do. Uh, Here's the second thing I believe he was saying to John. Simply this, you matter more than you think you do. (laughs) Verse 11, verily I say to you, among them that are born of women, this is a big one, among them that are born of women, there hasn't been one greater than John the Baptist. Don't you think John would have loved to hear that? (laughs) He was like, John, you matter more than you think you do. Like, you're a huge, huge deal. You matter to God. Like, what you do for God is so huge. What you do in your life is so huge. I believe the enemy's greatest tool many times is discouragement through feelings of insignificance. I think a lot of times we look at our life and we don't feel like it's that significant. We look at our lives and all we see is what we're not. But when God looks at us, God says, you're more valuable than you think you are. I think about growing up, there was a lady that made the greatest impression on me whenever I was a kid. Her name, we called her Sister Brenda. And uh, Sister Brenda was my uh, four-year-old Sunday school teacher, the four-year-old Sunday school class. And of all the teachers that I had all growing up in church, she was always my favorite teacher. She always tell me how, how, uh, how good looking I was, how handsome I was that morning. And of all the teachers, she always stuck out to me. And I never realized who, what was really happening. As, as you do when you're kids, you don't really understand what's happening around you, everything. But looking back, every time I'd walk in, Sister Brenda would be sitting down. And the reason I learned later that she was sitting down is because uh, she, she had muscular sclerosis. And um, she couldn't walk. And uh, I thank God that she did what she could. She never thought that it would make an impact so deep on me that I'd be talking about her 30 years later. But what made a difference was that she did what she could. And you know what? All of us can do what we can. Because we all have limitations. All of our limitations are different. But your contribution to the needs around you is so much more valuable than what you can ever even imagine in your own mind. I think about Sister Brenda. I thank God that she chose to wake up. I don't, can't imagine all the things that she would go through extra that... Most people that weren't in a wheelchair wouldn't have to deal with on those Sunday mornings. But every time, as a four-year-old little boy, I walk in, some of my earliest memories are of a Sunday school class with the lady smiling at me there at the desk, sitting in her chair. And I thank God for, for greeters. I thank God for ushers. I thank God for City Hills Kids volunteers. I thank God for people that put worship gods together. I thank people that are run sound, sound boards. And I, I, thank, I thank God for what may feel insignificant at times because all of us look at what we are and what we're doing, it feels insignificant. But understand, John, that what God wants to do in your life, you're doing better than you think you're doing and you matter more than you think you do. You matter so much to God. So if I could say this about that is simply this, every day add value to people. You don't have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to add value, to love people, to care for them, to lift them just a little bit higher. 
You don't have to have all the answers, but your just simple act of kindness and love. It's amazing to me when people uh, come to the church here, and I hear stories all the time of people talking about how friendly everyone was. And, and, and no one says, oh, there was a song, or there was one point of your message. Everyone always says, many times they even remember the person in the parking lot's name that walks up to them to their car and said, before I even walked in the door, I felt like this was home. Why? Because somebody cared and somebody did what they could to add value to somebody else. It's not insignificant at all. It's so huge, whatever we have to do for God. So how do we add value to people? I love this. I love, I love talking about this, adding value to people. Here's, here's just three simple things. If you're taking notes, it's not in your notes, but you can write it in the margins. It's good. If you want to add value to people, number one, you have to value people. You can't add value to people if you don't value people. I pray that we have a church full of people that value people. Rich people, poor people. I've, I, I've educated people, uneducated people. I, I hope every kind of person that we're a church that values people because our God values people. Our God values the broken. Our, our God values the disabled. Our, our God values the young. Our God values the elderly. Our God values everything in between. So if we're going to add value to people, we got to value people. The person at work that may feel insignificant to you, it's not insignificant to God. Had val- we can't add value to people if we don't value people. Secondly, we can't add value to people if we don't know what people value. When we take time to get in people's world around us and not just wait for them to come to our world, but we find out what they value. We find out the names of their children. We find out what's going on in their world. And we value what they value. We have an opportunity to truly make a difference in someone's life. And then thirdly, if I want to add value to people, I myself have to become more valuable we got to be the kind of people that are growing, that are progressing, that are continually learning and being what God's called us to be. Not to the point we sit back and say, well, I've kind of arrived in my life. All of us have arrived. If the Apostle Paul could say, I keep on, I'm still pressing toward what God has for my life, then all of us can keep growing. And as we keep growing, as we keep learning, as we keep becoming what God's called us to become, we lift the world around us higher. I love this. Um, it was about a man, it's called the pit. It says, a man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came and said, I feel you down there. An objective person came along and said, it is logical that someone would fall down there. A Christian scientist came along and said, you only think you're in a pit. <laughs> a Pharisee said, only bad people fall in a pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on his pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve that pit. (laughs) A Calvinist said, if you had been saved, you never would have fallen into that pit. I'm trying to offend everybody in this this illustration. A Wesleyan said, you were saved and still fell into that pit. Charismatic said, just confess that you're not even in the pit. (laughs) A realist said, that's a pit. An IRS agent asked him if he was paying taxes on that pit. The county inspector asked if he had a special permit to dig a pit. 
an evasive person came along and avoided the subject of the pit altogether. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. A bookie said, chances are anyone could fall into a pit. An optimist said, things could get worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Things could get worse. A pessimist said, things will get worse. Jesus, seeing the man, took the man by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. <laughs> That's what it means. Just lift somebody up. We don't got to qualify people around us. We don't have to love people with strings attached. Just love people. Just be a blessing to every person you meet. You don't have to get them on their knees repenting of their sins for you to be a successful witness to somebody. It just means doing what you can. Sometimes it's as simple as a smile. Sometimes it's paying for somebody behind you in the, in, in the line at Chick-fil-A. Sometimes it's, it's, it's helping someone. Sometimes it's giving someone a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's just a kind look. Someone told me a couple uh, months ago about someone who had visited here and they had... Um, was going through a difficult situation. No one knew it. They'd come for the first time. And out to eat later that day, they saw a greeter that welcomed them into church that morning. That person recognized them. And then when the lady went to pay for her food, the waitress said it had already been paid for. And that person could have never known the struggle that that person was going through at the time. But God knew. And one of you, I don't know who it is, but one of you said, I'm going to help with what I can do. I can't pay for everybody in this restaurant, but I can pay for this person. And God did a work through their life. Here's the, here's the third thing that I believe Jesus was saying to John behind his back is simply this. It's not as much about you as you think it is. This is a message of encouragement, a message of affirmation. But I want it to be the right kind of encouragement and affirmation. Say, so what'd you learn at church? I learned I'm better than you. I've learned I'm better than I thought I was. I'm better than... That's not what we're talking about tonight. Jesus, remember what he told John. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached in them. And his last line is easily uh, read over, but not to be mistaken. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. In other words, another translation of that says, blessed is he who's not upset about how I conduct my business. So in other words, John, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. At the end of the day, it's not about our ministry, our affirmation, our life all making sense in our mind. It's simply about this, our lives being put in the hands of God. And our story, us being okay with Him writing the story and us not being the main character. This is huge. Did you know you're not the main character of the story of the universe? I know as Americans, it's so easy to think that. As a child, we all think that, don't we? But we are not the central figure of the story. Jesus is the central figure of the story. And it's as if Jesus was saying, John, are you okay if you are building the foundation 
for a miracle you may never see. Is it okay with you if this is my story and not your story? Is it okay that if you don't really understand everything, is it okay that if your life could be nothing more than just building a foundation for a miracle you may never ever partake of or you will never ever see? I think about a story about a missionary's uh, a missionary lady um, that she would come to the church that I grew up in and speak. Her name was Nona Freeman. She was an incredible woman of God, a pioneer missionary in Africa. And she had so many stories to tell. And as a kid, I would always love to hear her stories. And my favorite of all was the story of before she went on the mission field, she was just beginning to walk with the Lord and hear His voice. And one day, she, she was living out on a dirt road, kind of in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Texas. And if I can remember the story right, I wish I could tell it like she would tell it. But she was going about her chores at home alone, and she felt like God told her that she was supposed to go out on her front porch and wave. So she thought, that's crazy. Go out on my porch and wave? So after a while, she just really felt like that's what she was supposed to do. So she literally walked to her front porch, a little dusty, dirt road, house in the middle of nowhere, and just stood on the front porch and started waving. She said, I've never felt so dumb in all my life. And I just waved. She's like, Lord, can I stop? And she didn't feel like she was supposed to stop, and she's just waving. Feel stupid. And she said, and suddenly in the distance, there was a little dust cloud. And she kept on waving, and that dust cloud became a vehicle that she could see. And the closer the vehicle came, the more she waved. <laughs> to the point, by the time the vehicle was going, she was just giving everything she had, just waving, waving, waving. And the car drove by, and she thought, well, that was, that was weird. She went back in her house and forgot about the whole thing. Until over 30 years later, she was on furlough from the mission field, traveling at churches, telling stories of what God was doing in Africa and raising funds. And she was at a church one day, and a man gets up and tells a story, the story of how God saved his life. And he told the story like this. He said, I was at the end of my rope, didn't know what to do. I was going to commit suicide. And I knew where I was going to do it, down at the end of this dirt road. And he says, as I began to drive down the road, he said, I said, God, if you're real, would you give me a sign? And he said, about that time, he looked over, and in this house on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, there was a woman standing there waving her hand. And because of that simple sign from God, the man didn't commit suicide that day and ended up finding his way to a church. And giving his heart to Jesus. And she got to hear the fruition of a miracle that God did years ago. And I've never forgot that story. Because it reminds me that God is doing more than I think he's doing sometimes. And that I may not get to see the miracle on this side of heaven. But the story is still in his hands. And it may feel stupid, it may feel awkward whenever you're doing what God called you to do, but just keep on doing it. Just keep on doing what God's called you to do. 
It may be as, as simple as what that missionary told me years ago as a kid. But you never know what God's doing in the background of your life when we realize it's really not about us. It's not about us. And Jesus, I'm okay if I'm just a forerunner for something else greater. Are you okay with that? If the story's not about you? Jesus says, never forget, John. It's not about you. And what John didn't know, John didn't know is his story was about to be over. And he was about to hear the affirmation from Jesus in his own ears in heaven. He didn't know it wasn't very many weeks later before John, he, he, before John was executed. And he would hear the affirmation on the other side. I want to share with you one last passage of scripture that just has had me fired up. Hebrews chapter 11. I love the message. Paraphrase of this. And musicians, you could come. This is that hall of faith chapter where God's giving us kind of the litany of all these people that live great lives of faith. I love how this, how, how I said Paul, the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Says so I could go on and on, but I'd run out of time. There are so many more. Speaking of great people of faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets. Through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions. Listen to all this. Fires and sword thrusts. Turned disadvantage to advantage. Won battles. Routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who under torture refused to give in and go free. Preferring something better. Oh, this is good. Resurrection. In other words, they refuse to make the story about themselves. They said... We'll take resurrection. Wow. Others braved abuse and whips. And yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood. Stories of vagrants wandering in the earth in animal skins. Homeless, friendless, powerless. The world did not even deserve them. Making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. Not one of these people, even though their lives of faith were exemplary, got their hands on what was promised. I wanted you to see that and circle that. Though they did so much, seemingly, not one of them got what was promised. Because God had a better plan for us. I wish I could preach for a little bit on something better than a promise. We're all about the promises of God. I'm going to stand on the promise and I'll, I'll, preach it like the, like, I'll preach it to you all the time. But you know what? Sometimes the promises aren't fulfilled on this side. And that's got to be okay with you. Said so there's something better than a promise. And watch what it is. It was... He had a better plan for us that their faith and our faith would come together and make one complete whole. Their lives of faith not complete apart from ours. What a story. In other words, he's saying we celebrate all these well-known people that did great things for God. He said, what about the people you don't even know their name? 
that were murdered and sawed asunder and gave their lives for the cause of Jesus because they were believing for resurrection. In other words, they were believing that Jesus was truly a better author than they were. And through their seemingly incomplete story and our seemingly incomplete story, the rest of the story is really the best of the story when it comes together. Here's the last thing I want to encourage you with today. Keep your heart set on heaven. Be the kind of person that doesn't get too enamored with the things of the world. In other words, lower your expectation of earth and raise your expectation of heaven. Lower your expectation of earth and raise your expectation of heaven. Keep your heart anchored behind the veil. Keep your heart anchored in that place where only God is. In heaven alone. And the rest of the story, John, really is the best of the story. I think if John could be here today and I look forward to talking to him someday, I believe he'd say it's worth it. That I didn't understand it, but his plan really was better. So church, be encouraged. You matter more than you think you do. You're doing better than you think you are. And you know what? Ultimately, it's not even about us. It's about him anyway. In Jesus' name.